So we're in Acts chapter 9 today, one of my favorite chapters to go through as we're going through the book of Acts. Uh, we get to chapter 9 where we see the conversion of Paul, of Saul, into Paul. And at the age of 14, Saul was sent out by his parents, as most parents want to get rid of their 14-year-olds. Um, they sent Saul out to be trained by Gamaliel, one of the great Pharisees of the time. And uh, Gamaliel was going to pour into Saul. He was going to teach Saul. And, and uh, it, it was said of Saul that he would read everything that was given to him. He would just absorb all of the information that was given to him. So he was a very educated person. And, um, and that's important to understand as we see who he was, what he became, and how he was able to cross over uh, from Jews to Gentiles and be able to minister to both and present the gospel in such a way that people would receive it. Saul was the one that was holding the coats of the religious rulers that were stoning Stephen to death. And he was there, he was good with it, because he believed that this was a righteous thing to do, because he believed that Stephen was blasphemous and, and needed to be stoned. And so he was holding those coats, watching this happen. So as you can imagine, that had an impact on his life, especially with Stephen uttering the words, don't charge them with this sin. That must have had an impact. It must have been right back there in the back of his mind the whole time. At this time, he was in his early 30s, and he was rising to the top as a leader in Judaism. And we read what his agenda was in chapter 8, in verse 3, when it says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. And so Saul was instrumental in the spread of the gospel. He didn't know it. He didn't know he was being used by God to do something good. Oh, he meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And then used that to spread the word as everyone ran from Jerusalem. All the Christians ran from the persecution there. Um, he looked upon the Christian faith as a threat to Judaism. See, I understand that. Because as someone legalistic, as Saul was, anything that broke their rules was a threat. And so he saw Christianity as a threat. Not because the rules were contradicted. Remember, 
Christianity didn't say your rules are wrong, our rules are better. As a matter of fact, Christianity agreed with the Ten Commandments. It was just presented a different way in that anyone could be saved. They were upset because Jesus is the Messiah. Now, you understand, Jesus is the Messiah, and there's nothing in the Bible that contradicts the fact that Jesus performed the miracles that he performed. There is no writing anywhere that said, well, Jesus never really did that. You know when those writings started happening? In modern day. Those people that want to shut Christianity down. They're the ones that are saying, oh, that, that's all just lies. It was all just made up. It's all phony. So we have people today that write books saying this is what really happened. They weren't there. You know, there are no pictures. You know, they... They believe these things because, well, these are the same people that believe in evolution. They weren't there either. Although some of them, I question. <laughs> but the spread of Christianity was happening there in those days. And it was a threat to Saul. He felt it was a threat to what he believed. And remember, he was fully committed. This man truly believed that he was doing the work of God. It wasn't that he was just following a religious system. He truly believed what he was doing was God's work on earth. So I understand his commitment to that. I commend him for his commitment to that. The only thing he didn't understand is that Jesus fulfilled everything that he believed in. He kind of missed that because all of his partners in the uh, religious system, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin, they all had different opinions. And so he was sticking to what he knew to be true. Today's message is titled, A Road Trip to Salvation. We resume our study in the book of Acts with Acts chapter 9 in verse 1, where we read, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so here was Saul. He wanted letters. He was still just furious, wanting to get rid of these Christians. And he was running out of Christians in Jerusalem. They all left. And so he said, that's it. I'm, I'm going to Damascus. Now, why Damascus? Because there were 30 to 40 synagogues in Damascus. 
with Jews meeting there. Well, where were the Christians meeting? In the synagogues. You see, these believers were going still to synagogues, meeting with the other Jews, and they would listen, they would go through all of the sermon, but they would also be sharing the gospel with those that were in the synagogues. And so people were getting saved. Remember, the early church, it was mostly Jews getting saved. They weren't going out to the Gentiles at this point. So these were the Jews that were being saved. And that's why Saul wanted these letters. He wanted to have validation. I can go out and I can go to the synagogues and I can arrest those in the synagogues. Well, made sense, but it also reinforced the idea that what he was doing was just. And so if he could present that to the Jews in the synagogues, even Jews that were like not really sure about who these Christians were, they weren't Christians at the time, but they, they were of the way it was called back then. Jesus is the way. And they were following the way. They were following Jesus. And so he was going there saying, okay, I have letters. And the letters were probably brought by messenger to the synagogues in Damascus before he even got there. We'll see that later because Ananias kind of knew that he was on his way. So here we see that Saul is ready to go. He, he's ready to arrest. And if they had the letters already, they're probably going to rat out the Christians that are within the synagogues. They're, they're going to be, oh yeah, oh, no, no, you don't want me. You want that guy. He's the one talking about Jesus. And so it'll be easier to make those arrests. Saul had a list of qualifications that was really powerful. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. He gave his qualifications. To the Philippians. He wanted them to know. This is what the qualifications. If anyone else thinks. He may have confidence in the flesh. I more so. Now this is after his conversion. That he's writing this. He's reminding them of who he is. Who he was. He said, I have confidence. I could have had all the confidence in the flesh because of who I was. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Fully qualified. A Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee. So he is, his qualifications put him above 95% of the Jews. And then he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. You see, it was a good thing that he was doing for what he believed. So he was zealous for the truth, for the purity of Judaism. And he said, I was persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. You see, he considered himself blameless, righteous, because he followed the law. And 
does that mean he was pure and he considered himself sin free? No, but he knew that he would go and give the sacrifices. He would go and, and do all of the different offerings that were to be done. He would do all those things. He would go to the worship, the times, the feast that he had to, remember there were three feasts that they had to attend every year in Jerusalem. He would be there. He'd be there for all of the events that were taking place because he was in Jerusalem. So he considered himself righteous. More righteous because of his qualifications, because of where he came from, how he was trained, and now how he was acting. He was getting rid of those waysayers, those people that believed in the way. He believed he was righteous in that way. Now he wants to bring them back and put them on trial. He wants to take them from Damascus, bring them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial and kill them because they aren't worthy to live. Verse 3 in Acts 9. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So here's Saul going down the road to Damascus. I know there are some commentators that say, oh, he was riding a horse and he fell off his horse. And it doesn't say that. So I'm going to assume that he was walking. But when that light shone on him, he fell down. He knew, I, you know, light doesn't cause people to fall down. It may cause you to go blind, but it's not going to cause you to fall down. This one did. Well, you have to imagine it's sunny day, maybe. I don't know. It could have been cloudy. But a light shone that was brighter than the daylight that he's traveling in. And it shone around him, and he fell to the ground, and he knew to call on the name of the Lord. You see, he heard the voice and he didn't say, who are you? Oh no, he knew because that voice knew. Now, you have to understand the religious rulers of those days did not believe that God spoke to man directly. The only man that God would speak to directly was a prophet. And remember, there hadn't been any prophets for 400 years. God had been silent for over 400 years now. And so at this time when this was taking place, you know, they had Jesus, but they didn't believe Jesus. And so there were no prophets if John the Baptist were a prophet and they believed him, then they would have believed in Jesus also. You know, but Jesus was doing miracles. There were amazing things being done by all of his apostles. Even the disciples of Jesus, Stephen and, and Philip, were doing miracles. 
themselves. These weren't even apostles. These were just average guys performing miracles. You would think at some point he would awake and say, oh, you know, this must be true. But there are people living in the world today that have all the same information we have. They have all the evidence we have. Folks, you are the evidence. You are the evidence of Jesus Christ. You are the evidence of the Holy Spirit. So act like it. You know what I'm saying? I know, I know we don't act like it all the time. Especially, I know you, you, you know what I'm going to say. Especially out there driving on the highway. You know, but... We need to act like the evidence because we are. We are what people see and the way we act, the way we respond to trials and tribulations, the way we respond to the wacky way the world is going. I watch the news just to see how wacky it can become. It's much wackier than anything I've ever experienced. It's wackier than I... Can you imagine 25 years ago that we would be in the situation that we are today? That wacky people are on TV and they're telling us what to believe and they're out of their stinking minds. I mean, there, there's... Uh, they can't see it. Hold on. Not just that, but 35% of the people that approve of everything going on in the world right now believe what they're seeing. You know, so when we look at polls and say, oh, the polls are so low and so on and so forth. Oh, no. To me, the poll should be zero. Right? So if there's 35% of the people that support and approve of what's going on right now, there are 35% of the people being deceived right now. That's the problem. I'm not talking politically. This isn't about politics. This is about what people believe in their hearts. And this is how Paul can be so deceived. How he could have been such a righteous man. So close in his knowledge of God and so obedient to the word of God, to what he knew to be true. And he still missed the truth when it came. Jesus said in the last days, we're going to have to worry about deception. And we're, we're seeing it right around us, aren't we? The deception is here right now. People are being deceived right now just by the the news just by the it, it isn't coming from one source the antichrist says it, it's the work of the antichrist it's the work of satan in his people in the people of satan and so we're seeing our world being destroyed because of the fact that people would rather follow the lie rather than the truth. So we are the restraining force that is holding back the evil 
at this time, but there's going to be a time where that restraining force is going to be taken out of the way and, and the, the full force of evil will be brought to the earth. So um, very scary, but exciting days that we live in because we know the truth. The truth sets us free. So Saul addresses Jesus, who are you, Lord? Who are you? He, he didn't have a clue. And he just wanted to know who he was. He thought Jesus was dead. He thought Jesus had gone to the tomb and, and they all, oh, they stole his body to make it look like he wrote. But he thought Jesus was gone. And here Jesus is talking to him. You know, Jesus takes the persecution of the saints personally. He still does that today. He still takes your life personally when someone comes against you in the name of Christ, when someone wants to make your life miserable because of who you believe in, he takes that personally. That's good news for us. Even if we're going to go through a little persecution, a little trials, tribulations, and stuff in our life. Hey, look, everyone, unbelievers and believers alike, it rains on the just and the unjust equally. Right? So it's not uncommon. It's not like, you know, why is this happening to me? It's because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you're human. You know? It's like when I get up in the morning and get out of bed and say, oh, why does my back ache? Because I'm human. And because I shouldn't have done those things that I, you know, I, I thought all of a sudden I was young and I can do all those things that I tried to do. You know, why is it I try to make up for 10 years of not taking care of myself? I try to make up for it in one day, you know, and I'm going to go to the gym and list 700 pounds and that's it. I'll, it'll make me all better. It doesn't work. Um, just want to let you know. So here, Jesus, I believe, knows the heart of Saul. He knows what he feels. He knows the, the passion he has for Christ. But he said, hey, hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? Goads are these spikes that they would put like on the, on the front of carts or, or the front of the plow so that when the oxen would, would kick, you know, because they don't like to be working, you know, and the goads would poke them and they would stop kicking. They wouldn't kick anymore. And, and so here, Jesus is saying, how oh, you're kicking against the goads, are you? Well, it's hard for you to kick against the goads because if you're kicking against Jesus, you're going to lose every time. You know, that's not going to be a good thing. When you're going through persecutions in your life, I just want you to be sure that Jesus is aware of it. He's aware of all of the negative things that are happening in your life. Quite often we get the feeling that, oh, he's not aware. He doesn't know what, let me, let me explain it to him in a prayer. Oh Lord, I'm going through all of the, you, do you really think you need to give him the details? You don't, he knows. He knows all the details. 
That doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear your heart, though. We're not sharing the information with him to inform him. He's fully informed. I was sitting in my chair this morning, and I looked down on my shirt, and there were a couple of hairs there on my shirt that had fallen out of my head. And here they were on my shirt. And I'm thinking, he knows which numbers they are. He knows. And I'm like, you know, let's not let too many more of these fall out. But he's like, oh, don't worry, got them numbered. I, I know what they, and, and that just makes me wonder again and again, you know, how awesome. Anyway, Paul was now going to be feeling the prodding of God. We read in verse 6, where it says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so here he is. He's on the ground. He heard from Jesus. Now he knows it's Jesus talking to him. And it, it's still, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's a question that each of us should be willing to ask every morning. What do you want me to do today, Lord? What is it you have planned for me today? Do you know what? He knows what's going to happen to us today. We don't know. You know, I assumed I was going to be here in church this morning teaching. I assumed that. I was planning for it. But I don't know. Because something may have happened before I got here this morning. I don't know for sure what the Lord is going to do tomorrow. He already does. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. He knows the end. You know how I know he knows the end? He gave it to us. He gave it to us in this book. And so we're like going through this story and thinking, you know, okay, where are we in this story? Where do we fit in here? Well, I tell you what, we're not at Revelation chapter 20 yet. And we're not in certain verses that lead us to believe that the Lord is coming soon. We're still not there yet because he's not here yet. And so we are continuing to do what the Lord has called us to do. But aren't our prayers usually, you know, Lord, here is my list of things. You know, these people are sick, take care of them. Oh, I've got diverticulitis and I can't eat seeds, you know. And, and so, Lord, I really like, I like strawberries. I can't eat them because those little seeds on the outside of the strawberry it make me sick. So, it's like, Lord, I... I can't wait to get to heaven where seeds won't have any impact on me. You know, I could eat as many strawberries as I want. I'd probably get up there and say, I don't like strawberries anymore. But, you know, I just know that 
God can do all those things. And even if I pray about them here, uh, that isn't the most important thing. See, the most important thing is, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's what Saul was asking. What do you want me to do? He recognized that the most important thing was to recognize the will of God so that he could fulfill the will of God. So he can do what God wanted him to do. And so Jesus said, go. I want you to go into the city. I want you to go where you will be told what you must do. You see, he didn't give him details. He just said, go there and wait there until you receive further instructions. We don't like that either. We want, you know, what, Lord? You want me to do what? Let me Google it and see what else I'm supposed to do. You know, and, and we have, Google has all the answers, right? Whether they're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. They're answers. And we sometimes want answers regardless of, we just want to know the end. We want to, you know, Paul Harvey, give me the rest of the story. I want to know what the rest of the story is. And the fact is, if we're always looking toward the end of the story, then we're missing out on the part of the story that we're living in at the moment. You see, Jesus wants to use us today. He doesn't want us to skip to the end of the story. He wants us to experience the whole story so that we're ready for the end of the story. He created a purpose for our lives. He is going to complete that purpose. He who started the work, he will complete the work. But if we're not doing the work, then we're missing out. It's, it's on us. We're the ones that are causing us to miss out on the parts that he put before us so that we can grow, so that we can be blessed. And quite often, we just want to do it our way and, you know, okay, Lord, now that you've given me this, now I can do everything my way. And, and you know, it's like that song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. You should have never had the wheel in the first place. God isn't my co-pilot. He is the pilot. You know? So that's our problem. We're constantly taking the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel back. Because I once again got in the way of what you wanted to do. So Saul heard the response. He knew what he was supposed to do. There were men that were standing speechless watching what all of this that was going on it says and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless having a uh, hearing a voice but seeing no one they heard a voice they didn't hear the words of the voice I, I have very bad hearing 
I hear voices all the time. None of them make sense to me. Put me in a restaurant or a crowded room and everything. All I can hear is all these people talking. I can't hear very well at all. It's very hard. So if you ever tell me something and I give you a blank stare, it's not because I thought you told me something that was, you know, silly or something. It's just that I didn't hear you. And, you know, and I don't want to keep saying what? You know, what? Can you write it down? Um, so I apologize for my hearing. My wife has told me many times to go get hearing aids. But not having my hearing is my excuse. So um, I'm, I'm going to hang on to that for a little while longer. Okay, love. But here they were seeing what was taking place before them, and they were hearing a voice. So it kind of sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. They, they didn't hear the details of what was taking place at that time. They didn't see the Lord either, but they knew something supernatural was happening, right? But they didn't see him personally. Sometimes people see the work of God. They hear the voice of God, but they discount it. Oh, that's not what I was hearing. And because they're distracted by other things. Quite often the Lord is speaking to us. You know what he's saying? Things we don't want to hear. You know, it's kind of like, it's funny how we think that going into ministry means we have to do something we don't want to do. You know, oh Lord, I want to be in ministry, but, you know, please let me, you know, be in ministry. Maybe I need to be a missionary to Paris. You know, or just just don't send me anywhere where, you know, it's bad, where, where there are struggles, where there are, don't send me to Kenya. Oh, Kenya, they're having a drought right now and everything, and, and I don't, I can't eat bugs. So, and, and that's the kind of thing that we get in our mind. We don't want to do bad things, and, and the Lord is going to send us to do something bad, because that's, you know, how we grow in our faith and stuff like that. And really just start at home. You start at home. If you can't do the simple things at home, how do you expect to be used to go to some other country and be used to doing that? You know, Lord, make me a missionary to Hawaii. Yeah. You know, people have different expectations of what they want, of what they want to experience. I've been to Hawaii many times. I was in the Navy. So it's not really like going on vacation to Hawaii, but, you know, but I was there. And it's like, okay, they don't have enough cows for me. So, so I'm going to stay here. In, in the States. But this is where the Lord has called me to. When the Lord plants you somewhere, grow there. Do what the Lord has planted you to do and grow there. Because he's going to use you in that place. And if you start at home, you start impacting. I have the greatest influence 
on my sphere of influence, on the people that are around me, that know who I am, that see how I live. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes not so much. But that's where we start. And if we can't live for him in the simplicity of day-to-day life, then who, who are we to get go overseas and, and go do something somewhere else? Right? We got to start right where we are. Saul's going to do that. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. And so here he is. He gets up. This is a man who is a leader. People follow him. And so now he has to be led. A blind person gets around pretty well after they've been blind for a while and they get used to going around, if they have someone leading them properly, someone that knows how to lead a blind person, they're pretty sure step, stepping. They know how to walk with someone if they're being led properly as a blind. But Paul, he was just blind. It was brand new to him. So he is probably like, you know, really being careful with walking into Damascus. And then he goes and he gets there. And he doesn't want to go to a celebration. Maybe that's why God blinded him. So that he would sit and consider who Jesus is for three days. Jesus sat and considered who Saul was for three days while he was in the grave. Not just Saul, but all of us. All of us who he died for. He knows each one of us personally. So he didn't try to run off and, and get away like, like Jonah. He went into Damascus. Quite often that happens to me when I'm distracted by things around me. Because of my eyesight, I can see things. And I get distracted by things around me instead of staying focused on what God is putting upon my heart. It's easy to get distracted. Mark was telling me that I distracted him with Big Macs last week. <laughs> you know, and, and it's true. When we get something entered into our head, the next thing you know, we're thinking about that. And we can easily become distracted. It's important for us to try to avoid being distracted. And we can't do that in our own power. We need the power of Jesus to even do the simple things, like stay focused. I find anytime I go to prayer, something happens to try to distract me. That red Mustang driving up the street every morning when I'm doing my devotions. What, does a light come on inside his house? Okay, now's the time. And then he gets in his car and he drives up the street and I can hear the engine. And it's not like it's, it's really uh, uh, um, loud or anything like that. It has a unique sound. And I recognize it, and it's a stick, 
so I can hear him shifting. And, and, I, and I'm like, there he is again. Every day. It doesn't matter if I'm up at 5, 5.30, 5.45. He's driving by my house in the morning. So I'm just, you know, that's just, they say, you know, you may be entertaining angels. Okay, so maybe that's who he is. I just haven't met him yet. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Ananias was a believer. He was probably in one of those synagogues out in Damascus. He probably heard through the letters that were written that Saul was coming. And so Ananias now is answering the Lord. You know what I find amazing? He answered right away. He didn't say, was that a red Mustang? He wasn't distracted by anything else. He said, here I am, Lord. So he recognized the voice of the Lord. It doesn't tell us if Ananias had heard the Lord before, if he daily had conversations with the Lord and was used to hearing his voice. But here's for sure, he heard the voice of the Lord. Folks, the Lord still speaks today. Sometimes he uses his word. And as we're in his word, we will read something and it will be just like, oh, that was for me today. He gave that to me to hear today. And you know that it's God speaking to you. I read various devotionals in the morning and sometimes they line up. They're talking about the same topic. And I'm like, what? Who planned that? Oh, I know who. I know who planned that. He had something to share with me, and he did it that way. Sometimes it's in my heart of hearts. It's in the midst of a prayer, and I hear from the Lord. And I just know that God has put something on my heart today. Maybe it's about a person. Maybe it's about a situation. And I just feel the leading of the Lord at that moment. But when we go to the Lord in prayer with a laundry list, sometimes we're doing more talking than listening because we're just trying to get through our list. Believe me, the Lord knows the things on your laundry list of prayers. He already knows. But at the same time, are we listening to what he's telling us so that we can hear from him as Ananias is? So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. 
And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So here is the Lord speaking to Ananias, giving him details of what he wants him to do. And Ananias says, all right, Lord, I'm good with that. No, if you're looking in your Bible, it doesn't say that. It says, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias was fully aware of who Saul was. And he's like, Lord, maybe you didn't get the memo. Maybe you weren't at the synagogue yesterday, but I heard who this Saul is. And isn't it funny how we try to tell the Lord, you know, when we think maybe, maybe he wasn't aware, you know, maybe he was busy with the guy up the street that has more problems than I do, and, and he wasn't aware of the details of what's really gone. The Lord's aware. Lord's aware of everything. We don't have to give him all the details. And when you pray with someone and you're praying with them and you give the Lord all the details, are you giving the Lord the details or the person you're praying with? Oh, Lord, as we pray, we lift up this person to you because that person, he, he just is fallen in sin. And he's involved in so many things. I, I saw him talking to a couple of young girls at Safeway, and, and I saw him, you know, buying alcohol. And I, you know, and we're not really praying for the person. You want to pray for someone that, you know, is struggling. You don't have to tell all of the sins to the love covers a multitude of sins. You know what you do? You just say, hey, you know what? I know this person needs prayer. Lord, let's lift up this person and, and Father, we pray. You already know the details. Lord, act on their behalf. That's it. Do you think God's going to say, I need more details? I don't think so. And so here, <laughs> Ananias felt like, I need to give you some details about this. But God says, no, you go. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear. I really like this. I, I like this because God already knew his heart, already knew what he was feeling. And God was going to explain things to him anyway. God doesn't have to explain anything. But he does here. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's the last thing we want to hear about us, right? <laughs> you know? Oh, 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 Lord, how many things does that person have to suffer for your name's sake? We don't want to hear that about ourselves. But Saul wasn't unique. It wasn't 
that he was a bad person and God was punishing him, all the apostles suffered for his name's sake. All the disciples suffered for his name's sake. They were persecuted, they were martyred, they were beaten. They were chased their entire life, but they kept doing what they were called to do. That is the evidence of someone sold out for Christ. Someone that fully believes in Jesus Christ, no matter what people say, no matter what people do, I'm just going to live my life for Christ. And by him saying this about Saul, we think, oh, yeah, Saul deserved it. Man, he was a, you know, he was a killer of Christians and he deserved. No, he's going to show him. How would you like it if you got shown all the trouble and trials you're going to go through because of your walk with Jesus? Most of us wouldn't like it. Here's the honest truth. Most of us experience trials and tribulations and struggles in our life because of bad decisions that we make. We suffer the consequences of our own decisions. That's reality. And then we blame God. Oh, I'm being persecuted. No, no. God had a different plan. You didn't listen. You did what you wanted to do. And now you think you're being persecuted. No, you're just experienced the consequence of your actions. And many of us, now that doesn't mean that every trial you have is, you know, the consequence of your actions. Sometimes it's just the fact that you're still human. And we're still going to go through trials. We're still going to go through struggles because we're all human. And that's just the nature of being human. But here, Saul was told, he was shown the struggles that he was going to go through, the trials. Maybe that's why he could get stoned outside the city where they thought he was dead and then he stands back up and walks back into the same city that they dragged him out of and stoned him. And maybe that's why, because he already knew that it was coming. And so he was prepared for it. But how many were saved by Saul's ministry? I don't know. It's still going on. It's still happening today. Because of his ministry, people are still getting saved. And that's the awesome thing. He set a great example for us. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, is that awesome? Here's the guy who he thought was going to come kill him. He was worried about coming and killing him, dragging him back to Jerusalem. Here he calls him brother Saul. Do you know why? Because Jesus said he was. And that's all we need to know. If Jesus says that's your brother, then that's your brother or your sister. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive 
your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that was sweet sound in Saul's ear. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So here he was, three days, no food, no drink, and then Ananias comes, just as the Lord told him was going to happen. He said, I, I showed him that he was going to be visited by Ananias. He was going to receive a sight. And so Ananias fulfilled that by doing what he was told. Something like scales dropped. Wouldn't that be great if you prayed for something and someone and something like scales dropped from Oh, look. That's the Lord. Isn't that amazing? You know, well, you know what? You can still do that. Maybe you won't see the scales dropping from their eyes, but still pray for them because you don't know what the Lord wants to do. You don't know about the purpose the Lord has in their life. Maybe the Lord has let them go through something just so that they can be used by him in a a new way in someone else's life. Pray for them. Lift them up. Maybe God will use them in a great way. And so here he was strengthened. And then he spent some day with the disciples there in Damascus. That's the fellowship of the saints. He did everything that he was called to do by Jesus after he saw this light. Go into Damascus. Wait. Ananias is coming. Three days later, Ananias comes. He responds. He receives the Holy Spirit, is baptized, and then he goes in the fellowship of the saints. We close today considering how Saul was on a road trip to salvation. He began the ministry fighting against God. Then he came face to face with Jesus. And Jesus became real to him on that day. There he was in that light. In verse 6, he asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? And being filled with the desire to obey the Lord is the first step. What do you want me to do, Lord? When we get saved, that's the first step is Asking the Lord, what does he want from us? What does he want us to do? Verse 11, Jesus said that Saul was praying. See, Saul knew right away, go to prayer. Build that relationship. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is personal. It's not about the religion. It's not about what we do and how we act religious. It's about the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And so prayer is part of that relationship. Prayer is the conversation that we have that's ongoing. Prayer isn't just a wish list. It's not just asking for things. Prayer is interceding on others' behalf. Prayer is asking for wisdom in what to do today to accomplish his purposes. 
And that's, I'm sure, what Saul was praying for. And then we read in verse 18 that Saul was baptized. It was an outward profession of what was changed inside of him. It's no longer, I'm a Pharisee, and that's my title. Look, I have the documentation. I have an ordination certificate on my wall, so this is who I am. I'm qualified. I wasn't ordained by a pastor down in Queen Creek, although that's what the certificate says. I was ordained by God. The confirmation of that ordination was the certificate because it was a witness from others that said, yes, we see the call of God on your life. And that's what that certificate is. But if I didn't have the certificate, I would still be ordained by God to do what he's called. So are you. You're ordained by God to do whatever he calls you to do. And he gives you the ability, the power, and he gives you everything that you need to accomplish his purposes. Verse 19 says that he fellowshiped with the disciples at Damascus. Once we are then connected, we fellowship. And especially in these days where we're not supposed to avoid the fellowship of the saints, we're supposed to be getting together more often. Because this is how we encourage each other and we build each other up and we sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. We need to do that, especially in the days we're in, because I don't go to CNN for that, right? I look for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can be assured of what I believe because I'm seeing it worked out also in the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's an encouragement for me. Let's be ready to hear from the Lord when he speaks and to obey him no matter what he tells us even if it doesn't sound like something we want to do. And that way we can be an instrument in the plan of God. We can be used by him to accomplish his good will here on earth. Amen. Amen.